Welcome to Conversations with Carolia, where we take a nuanced deep dive into all things related to spirituality, sexuality, power, and awakening. My name is Carolia, and I'm your host for this journey. I invite you to relax back, open up, and get curious. And don't forget to subscribe, like, and share the love. Are you ready to realize the self, to resolve your shit, to rejoice in daily life? Join Carolia's community via her online platform, The Toolbox. Get ready for a paradigm shift in how you experience yourself and your reality. The Toolbox, where you'll find everything you need for the spiritual path, view teachings, practices, community, and a teacher who cares. Find the toolbox at toolbox.carolea.com. T-O-O-L-B-O-X dot K-A-R-A-L-E-A-H dot com. Well, folks, here we are. Welcome to episode zero of Conversations with Carolia, which is just me all by myself. I'm actually sitting in my closet because word on the street is that recording in a closet mm, generates the best sound quality. So I thought I'd give it a go. So for those of you who don't know me at all, I have been walking this spiritual path. It feels like my whole life. I mean, I have memories of being 11 years old and writing in my diary the big questions about reality. Um, I was brought up Presbyterian and I was writing questions like, why is it wrong to be gay? Even at 11, I was questioning. I started yoga. I did my first yoga class in 1995, but didn't really get into it regularly until 2000. Um, I had a psychotic episode, or two, there was actually two, in 2004 after a massive kundalini awakening, huge paradigm shift in my experience of reality, and also a really painful, painful relationship breakup um, that happened after the first episode of psychosis, that is. And I was living in Canada at the time, my fiancé broke up with me after I had the first episode of psychosis. I had to come back to New Zealand and pull myself back together, which was not fun. Um, That was when I really dedicated myself to yoga and to meditation. And just spent the next, mm, oh my God, I mean, that was 2004. We're in 2023. That was almost two decades ago. And I would say it took me a good three to seven years to climb out of the hellhole that I found myself in at the time. Uh, Along the way, I have worked as a journalist. I have been an editor, entertainment editor for newspapers. I have been an editor of magazines. I have hosted a two-hour current affairs show that I produced and and hosted on radio. And I've taught yoga. I started teaching yoga in 2006. And I taught yoga asana, yoga asana, (laughs) until 2016. I used to teach something called yoga trance dance under the brand name of Yoga Rhythms. Uh, with an amazing DJ called DJ Rhea. 
And then around 2016, I stopped teaching physical yoga because I, my heart just wasn't in it anymore. And my own personal practice had shifted to Uchara practice, which is a tantric practice I was taught by Christopher Tompkins. I had committed to doing a thousand days in a row of that practice. So that was now my daily practice. And it took me about, mm, it took me seven years to complete those thousand days because I dropped the ball on day 338 the first time and then day 617 the second time. Uh, in 2019, I began teaching that practice. I dove deeper into tantric mm, philosophy. I read the Recognition Sutures. I read Tantra Illuminated. I studied with Christopher Wallace. I literally, like, I immersed myself in Christopher Wallace's teachings. I listened to or read his material two, three, four hours a day um, because the tantric framework and approach and view teachings just made so much sense to me on this path of awakening and liberation. And there's been this really interesting intersection in my life where, yeah, I was involved in journalism. I was very interested in politics. I did politics and economics and history and Mandarin, actually, as in the language, at university because I was going to be a diplomat and I wanted to go to China. Um, so there's always been this interest in power and how it operates and spirituality and what it's all about. And sexuality has also been another big theme in my life and, of course, awakening. So I used to publish a, an online yoga magazine called The Yoga Lunchbox. I published that for about 10 years, um, wrote over a thousand articles and interviewed many world-class teachers then. Um, and at the time, I was really fascinated by the different so-called scandals that began to erupt. There was John Friend of Anusara Yoga and Bikram you know, Bikram and all the things that came out about him because I was like, okay, here are these so-called spiritual teachers who are doing things that are sometimes downright criminal, like raping people, um, sometimes just really fucked up on the interpersonal level. And I'm like, well, how does this gel? How does this make sense? You know, if we are on the spiritual path, then surely we are striving towards having Mm, really amazing conduct and how we act and sort of began to realize that just because someone's on the spiritual path just because they're a spiritual teacher it doesn't mean they've sorted all their shit out and you know shit can go down and I think one of the reasons I was so curious about all of this was because I was teaching and you know I was expanding and growing as a teacher and I wanted to check myself. I was like, how do I make sure that I don't fall into any of these traps? And so I wrote about these um, incidents on the Yoga Lunchbox. I actually wrote an article um, that listed all the yoga scandals, all the teacher scandals, and it just got longer and longer and longer. Um, literally started with 10 teachers. And then by the time we sort of finished updating that article, it had like 20 or 25 teachers there. So this kind of thing has continued. And in the last two or three years, particularly since the Me Too movement, there has just been increased scrutiny, particularly on the sexual behavior of spiritual teachers and yoga teachers here in New Zealand, where I live and am based. There recently, in the last six months or so, have been a few articles published about ISTA, 
the International School of Temple Arts and Haydn Manor, which often hosted ISTA events, related to transgressions, allegations, abuses that have occurred within those organisations. And I've got lots of friends who have attended as participants, ISTA and Haydn, who have been facilitators. And again, I found myself deeply interested in what was unfolding and what was going on. Uh, Last year in New Zealand, of course, we were coming through COVID, lockdowns were happening, vaccine mandates had been introduced. You know, there's a lot of feelings around all of that. And in February 2022, here in New Zealand, there was a huge protest that happened on the front lawn of Parliament with people protesting against the vaccine mandates um, and various other things related to COVID. And I was enthralled by that protest, partly because I'm a part of um, the conscious community here, of course, and I go to a lot of the conscious festivals, I present at the festivals, and many of my colleagues and my friends were down at the protest. Um, I intended to go down so I could check it out for myself and, and see what it was all about, but then my back went out for the first time in years, like maybe even a decade or so. And so I literally was not in a position to drive down to Wellington. So I found myself voraciously reading the media that was coming out on the mainstream media and also reading the so-called alternative media. And as someone who's trained in journalism, who has worked as a journalist, I found myself in this really interesting position of both criticizing the mainstream media and their coverage and also defending the mainstream media and their coverage and criticizing the alternative media. Um, And just, again, being fascinated by the whole lot because from my perspective, the spiritual path is so much about truth. What is truth? And truth always lies beyond beliefs. And as Christopher Wallace would say, truth is that which cannot be put into words. And so as I was watching those protests unfold and feeling the energy of it and, and feeling some of the members of my community down there, like Matu Tuhuki and, and Franco Heke, I really felt like there was a an imbalance in the reporting that was happening where the stories were not being told of the people protesting. And so... I'd started conversations with Karalia in about 2017-2018, back when I lived in in West Auckland, and it was just a video series on YouTube, and then COVID, all these things, and I'd kind of stopped. When the protest started, and when I felt like people were not getting the full story of what was happening down there, I started up again, and I started to interview people who were present as protesters at Parliament. I actually started, my very first interview was with Matu Tuhuki. Um, and so then there was a series of interviews I did. I think there were at least five or six interviews that I did with a number of people who were present on the ground. Um, Sita Pati Das, who was the person leading the Hare Krishna, they were chanting the whole time. Um, Ali Tichener, who you will be able to listen to on this um, podcast series. Um, and a few other people there. So that was an extraordinary, extraordinary experience. And that kick-started conversations with Karalia again, uh, which 
the mostly the people I interviewed there were involved with spirituality and I began to realize that there's this intersection that I'm fascinated by the intersection of power sexuality spirituality and awakening um so this podcast series like if you're listening to this on Spotify or iTunes just be aware that not all the people that I've interviewed on video have given me permission to put their particular interviews into the podcast so if you do want to watch all of the videos I've done in conversations with Carolee you do need to go to my YouTube channel and just click on the conversations with Carolee a playlist and you'll be able to watch every single one so mm, let me just take a moment I invite you the listener to take a moment here as well to just become really aware of and notice the felt sense of your breath and see if you can notice and be aware of the felt sense of your whole body And then just notice, be aware of the room or the space that you are in. And notice how the awareness that you are encompasses the space, encompasses your body, encompasses your breath. And just see if you can get really curious about this awareness of space, body, breath. Can you be aware of this awareness? Because this awareness, perception, this is what we actually are according to the, the tantric traditions. We are awareness itself. And everything else that is arising and subsiding within awareness, like the breath, like thoughts, feelings, sensations, all of that is temporary phenomena. It's constantly changing. It's constantly coming and going. And if you look at your body even, right, the body, you know, when you're a toddler, how different does the body look when you're a toddler compared to when you're 20? How different do you look between being 20 and 50, for example? Right? We often have this really concrete fixed idea that we are our physical body. We are our thoughts. We are our feelings. We are our idea of me. We have all these stories of me. I am this kind of person. And when I speak about awakening, what I'm referring to with that word is the shift in identification that occurs when we begin to realize ourself as nothing more and nothing less than awareness, sometimes called essence nature, Shiva nature or Shiva nature, consciousness, right? So I'm using the word awakening in a very specific way way and a technical term you could say from the tantric traditions and in the tantric traditions like Trika Shaivism is the lineage that I practice and study in there's three goals of tantra and that is awakening that's realizing the self it's it's like this felt sense of knowing that what you are is awareness and you're just one little drop of awareness too in the great field of awareness uh, then there's liberation, which is liberation from conditioning. And liberation is uh, recognizing, say, for example, if there's a pattern of people-pleasing, which tends to run, 
when that pattern dissolves, right, that is liberation. Because now if the pattern of people-pleasing that used to automatically run in certain situations doesn't show up, there is an opportunity to be genuinely responsive in the moment rather than a pattern running. This is liberation. The final goal or fruit of traditional tantra is hmm, it's rejoicing in life, it's enjoyment, it's being able to savor whatever is unfolding right here, right now. It's, it's right livelihood, it's good relationships, it's knowing who and what you are. And that's how I orientate to reality. There's a focus on awakening, realizing the self, on liberation, which is about digesting your shit, my conditioning, and rejoicing, being able to deeply, genuinely enjoy whatever is happening. What also might be useful for you to know as you listen to these podcast conversations is that another way I orientate to reality is via the prayer of pure motive, which is a teaching I received again from Christopher Wallace. And the prayer of pure motive is designed to antidote what are sometimes called the three impure motives, or the, Christopher Wallace talks about them as the three ineffective motives, which I'm not even going to go into that. That's like a tantric teaching, and I'm, I'm not here to teach tantric stuff to you. But what I will say is that the prayer for pure motive goes something like this, and I, I change it compared, you know, related to the situation I'm in. So if I'm about to practice... The prayer for pure motive is like this. May I practice out of love for myself. May I practice out of a desire to know the truth. May I practice out of a, for the well-being, may I practice for the well-being of all beings. So this is the prayer, and the prayer is to move from, to come from, for all action to arise out of love, truth, and the well-being of all. And so this is my orientation to life, and it's a practice, right? It's a practice. So when I am interviewing people, this is also the space that I hold, um, is orientating to love, to truth, and to the well-being of all beings. Um, I did end up doing a second interview with Matthew Tehuki, which again is not on the podcast. You'll have to go to YouTube to listen to it. And he was incredibly courageous in stepping into that interview with me to name and take responsibility for some transgressions that he had made with women and with participants on some of the um, events that he had been doing. And in that conversation, I was so aware of my old pattern in the past, particularly with strong male authority figures, of people-pleasing. And I really wanted to hold that space with love for Matthew. He's a beautiful man who brings many beautiful things into the world, uh, despite some you know, problematic patterns that might have been running. We all have these things. We all have to deal with these things. But I also wanted to hold the space with that clarity around the desire to orientate to truth, the desire to know truth. And that meant I, I had to have the courage to 
name what I could sense in the field and also ask the hard questions. And this is an edge for me. Um, back when I used to host uh, Sunday Cafe, which was the two-hour current affairs show on Q92 FM down in Queenstown in like, it was 1995 and 96, no, sorry, it was 2005, 2005, 2006 when I hosted that show. I'm pretty sure those are the dates. Um, I do remember receiving feedback from someone who worked in communications in the town that I didn't ask the hard questions, that I was too nice to the guests. And it was an absolutely valid feedback for me to receive. And I realized it was because, one, I was incredibly empathetic, so I could always understand the other person's point of view and really empathize with them and get on their side and be like, yeah, I get it, totally, you know. Um, and that's beneficial on one side, but it's not balanced. It doesn't bring the other side. And the other side is the ability to challenge and confront and ask the hard questions. And that's my edge. So as I do this podcast, one of the things I'm challenging myself to do is to lean in, is to challenge, is to confront and ask the hard questions, even as I hold the space with love and also respect the person that I'm interviewing. Um, it's a really fine line to, to walk. Uh, so my intention with the podcast is as much as possible when there is a hot issue that's arising, if I'm interviewing someone who's on you know one side of the so-called issue, that wherever possible, I talk to someone on the other side of the so-called issue, right? I want to hear all voices on the continuum. And I'm not sitting there in judgment either. I'm not sitting there thinking about stuff. Like I see these conversations as a practice. They're, for me, they're a practice of surrendering into stillness, surrendering into the unknown, surrendering into spaciousness, and allowing the questions to arise from moment to moment. I genuinely don't go in with an agenda. I don't have an idea of what I want to get out of the interview or what I want the person to say or where I want to go. I do have an idea of topics I might want to cover and I do often write down a bunch of questions that I may or may not ask, depends on what happens. And I really work in a responsive way to what's happening in the moment. Mm, just taking another moment here to be aware of breath and I invite you to join me. Mm. One thing that's really important to me is we have these often difficult, challenging conversations. I feel that the way we hold the space is as critical as the conversations that we have. I feel that if we are attacking and accusing and judging, we're creating harm. We are actually creating harm. So I go in with curiosity and openness and that space of love and truth because I want to hear what the person has to say. Now, just because I'm listening to them in a way that is open and curious, etc., does not mean I am endorsing what they're saying. It doesn't mean that I agree with what they're saying. You know, just because maybe I don't challenge them on X, Y, or Z, it doesn't mean I agree with it or I'm endorsing it. It might just be the flow of the conversation. Um, one of the teachings in traditional Tantra that Christopher Wallace often talks about is that all people are doing the best they can in the moment 
based on their level of conditioning, the karmic patterns that are playing out, which is actually the same thing in different language, um, their traumas, unresolved trauma, again, same thing in different language, slightly different. Um, and it's a case that if you were that person with their history and their trauma and their conditioning and their karma, you would do exactly the same thing in their position. And this is an interesting thing to consider, particularly when it comes to, to justice, because how do we accept and understand that all people, and he's talking about all people, murderers, rapists, pedophiles, whatever, his, what he's saying here is that everyone's doing the best they can, given, given those, those factors, and you would do the same thing if you were in their position. So how do we hold people to account then? Well, we can. We can absolutely hold people to account, even whilst we are loving them. And that's the space I really want to hold, is like, I can hold you to account. I can condemn your behavior. I can say, this causes suffering. This is non-beneficial, and we'd love to see you act in a different way. And I can do it out of love. Because when I stay, I'm just going to own this, when I stay in love, Right When I'm in the field of love, I don't experience any separation between me and the other. I just feel immense love for the person, regardless of who they are and what they might have done. And this is my concern in the post-Me Too world as such, is that there has been sexual violence committed against people by spiritual teachers, spiritual organizations. And this needs to stop. This is, you know, obviously needs to stop. But if the way that we are approaching dealing with the sexual violence is that we are bringing emotion, if we're being emotionally violent, then we're still committing violence, right? And I feel quite attuned to that. Like I really notice when people are mean and, you know, even if like, you know, even if someone's done some horrendous things, no need to be mean you can still be kind and loving and have strong boundaries and hold the person to account so this is the space I want to hold and this is the way I want to orientate to the conversations and sometimes I might fuck up sometimes judgment might arise sometimes I might miss asking the hard questions sometimes I might chicken out but it is a practice for me to lean in in this way so what you will discover after episode zero is the reworking, well not reworking, the republishing of episodes that have already been published on video and I think there's about seven of those. Um, For the ones that won't be published in the podcast, again just see the YouTube channel for the videos and then we go into the fresh ones which will also be on video, right? From now on in anything I record is on the podcast and on video so you get to either watch us and or listen to us, whatever suits you best. Uh, My intention is to publish a podcast once every two weeks, sometimes maybe once a week, depending on um, the guests that I have there. And it will likely be New Zealand-centric because I live in New Zealand. And I will also be interviewing people from other countries. Um, And the, the topics, as I mentioned, that I'll be covering are spirituality, sexuality, power, awakening, and the intersection of all of these things. Um, In particular, something I'm starting to notice and get really curious about in the post-MeToo environment is that as people are calling out 
facilitators, teachers, leaders, organizations in the spiritual world for shitty behavior, um, going all the way through to criminal behavior. Sometimes what I see is that some of the people calling people out are getting off on it and using it as leverage for power. And I find that really fascinating as well, because on the surface, it's like they're they're doing the good work. They're like, you know, calling out people who are doing shitty things. But again, it comes back to the energy underlying the actions. And I can feel when it's like when when someone's quite agenda driven and it's giving them the sense of power that and I'm like, man, this is really interesting. They appear to be something doing something good, but the underlying energy is still coming from a power-hungry, graspy place. And I'm really curious about that. I'm really interested in that. These, I mean, these are subtle nuances, and that's the space that I like to play in. I regularly, like often on the daily, deep dive into my unconscious. I have methods and practices for doing this so that I can continually dissolve conditioning and what I've noticed from orientating to reality in this way is my perceptual field, my perceptual awareness has opened up. The gates of perception are much wider. So when I'm in interactions with people, there's the words that they're speaking, there's their body language, and then there is all this other subtle communication that is very fleeting but for me, often quite obvious. And that is what I'm really interested in perceiving. Because I feel sometimes like I can perceive that information, but other people, like the person involved, doesn't necessarily always perceive it. Mm. Okay, just about to begin to wrap up this episode zero of Conversations with Karalia. What else do you need to know? Mm. Of course, if you are listening to this and you love what you are listening to, please, please, please support in all the ways. Like, share, comment, send me a million dollars in the bank, um, you know, just, just shower the love back because of course this is a labor of love on my side. I deeply believe in this body of work and feel strongly called to do it and really appreciate whatever support you want to send my way. If you believe in this kopapa, uh, the underlying principles guiding this work, kopapa is a Māori word. Um, it's kind of like the value or the energy. Oh, I don't know if I'm, if I'm <laughs> uh, translating this correctly. I just know the word without the translation. How interesting is that? The kopapa. I love that word of the work. Um, yeah, if it, if it resonates, I don't really like that word, resonates. If you get excited by what I'm doing here with conversations with Karalia, I invite you to support the fuck out of the work. Um, and yes, I do swear occasionally. Sometimes it's just to make sure that you're actually listening. Sometimes it's because I like to challenge the idea of what people think spirituality is all about. And sometimes it's just because I like the sound and the feel of that word in my mouth. <laughs> that feels like a good place to end episode zero. I shall see you, hear you, listen to you. Well, I can't listen to you, but I will um, meet you on episode 
one. Sending so much love and so many blessings to you. May all beings be free. Are you ready to realize the self? To resolve your shit? To rejoice in daily life? Join Karalia's community via her online platform, The Toolbox. Get ready for a paradigm shift in how you experience yourself and your reality. The Toolbox, where you'll find everything you need for the spiritual path. View teachings, practices, community, and a teacher who cares. Find The Toolbox at toolbox.karalia.com T-O-O-L-B-O-X dot K-A-R-A-L-E-A-H dot com Thanks for listening to Conversations with Karalia and trust that you enjoyed that nuanced deep dive into spirituality, sexuality, power and awakening. If you love my take on the spiritual path and you're looking for more insights like this, then make sure you subscribe and like. You can also check out my website, karalia.com. That's K-A-R-A-L-E-A-H.com. And subscribe to my weekly newsletter.